Good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. Isn't it good just to sit and reflect sometimes in our busy, hectic world, just to kind of sit and slow down and think and process? And, and again, I think that's cool. Thank you so much, Amy, for giving us an opportunity. This morning, we've got a special morning planned. And what we are doing is we're ending our series, uh, Courageous. And where we've been at all summer long has been just stopping to say, what does it take to see God do the impossible in our world today? All throughout the pages of the Bible. We see some pretty crazy things happen. We see God show up and give life to places where there was only death. We see God show up and do things that just make our heads kind of hurt. And we scratch and we think, wow, wouldn't it be cool, we say, if God would do that in my life, in our life. And so we've been talking all summer, whether it's him showing up to restore a broken relationship, a broken marriage, kick an addiction, uh, whether it's him leading me in a new direction, a new career, uh, maybe just him showing up and giving me life that I've never experienced or whatever it may be of our impossible thing is, our mom and dad coming to know Jesus, my children coming home, my what does it take to see God do the impossible? We've been talking about it all summer, and we look specifically at the book of Joshua, which is one story in the, in the Bible where, where we see God do the impossible, and we see God gave this nation called Israel a vision 400 years earlier. They've been, for the last 40 years of their lives, wandering around and dying off in the desert. And finally, they get to lead, be led by this man named Joshua, who struggled with courage, who struggled to step up and be bold and go into this promised land, see the vision come true. So we've been talking about this, looking at this morning, we bring it to an end to kind of bring it to an end. We aren't, we're going to really uh, challenge us to refresh our hearts back over the summer and think, what has God been doing? What is he asking me to do? The real heart this morning is that every one of us, including myself walks out of here saying, okay, we didn't just hear some decent stuff all summer. We didn't just hear a few average messages and maybe every and then one bumped above average. We didn't just take some, some stuff in, but we're going to go do something now because of it. So that's our heart. We're going to try and lead this to a point of commitment this morning. To kind of get us moving with that, if, if th- I want you to think about a question. Me to think about a question. If someone walked in and sat with you at your lunch table this afternoon, and they got this question moving and you got discussion around, and the question was, what is the most dangerous thing a believer in Jesus faces in today's world. It's the most dangerous thing, the scariest thing. Now, we may jump at all kinds of answers, and I'm not sure what you might give, but you might hear things like, well, it's the media, the world around them, whether it be music and, and the influence of the world and, and magazines and the internet and all the stuff that comes in. Or we may say, well, it's the public school system. Or we may say it's decaying marriages. And we all sit around and we can acknowledge, we look around and we see marriages falling apart all around us. We may say, what's well, the decaying morals of our Western culture? Maybe some of us would say, well, it's the liberals. Maybe that's politicians or theologians. Maybe others will sit back and say, well, it's actually the conservatives, politicians or theologians. The poor choices that we're making. Stephen Furtick, a man who wrote a book about the book of Joshua in a lot of ways, he wrote a book called Sun Stand Still. He ponders this question. And one of the questions, one of the answers that he gives, whether you um, agree with it or not, I think it's worth pondering. It says this, most believers aren't in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They're facing a danger that's far greater, wasting them. In other words, getting out of bed tomorrow, taking oxygen in, and living for things that don't really matter in light of eternity. And I step back and I evaluate my life. How often do I do that? 
I mean, I want to step back and see all this bad stuff in the world, all these poor choices that I could make. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, Stephen Furtick, he might be right. The greatest danger I face is just wasting my life. Reminded me of a story that I, I used to coach football at Warwick High School. Did it for five years. Loved it to death. Absolutely loved it. I loved working with these young men and instilling biblical principles into their heart and lives that they didn't even know were biblical principles. Walking around as a mentor with some of these guys that were just struggling to get through life. And what I would often do, I think that's about every year, at the end of the summer practices, those of you who have played football or have had children play football know that those summer practices are hard, painful two weeks of any young man's life. They beg to get through them. Many people quit. Matter of fact, I think that's what I learned when I started coaching. I used to think when I played, they just want me to quit. Well, after I started coaching, the coaches said, we make this really hard so those that aren't into it quit. I'm like, I thought so. So they, it's a hard two weeks, two a days. We actually had three a days. And, and you get through this, and I'd pull my group of offensive linemen around, and I'd, I'd tell them this story. Now, this story, I was t- first time I heard it, I was told that it was true. Now, as you hear it, you're thinking, no, really? <laughs> so it may have been true at one point, and over the retellings of, of multiple people around the globe, it has since been embellished to all kinds of... So bear with me in the story um, for the sake of drama and point. So we'll, here's the story I told him. There was a young man, a freshman in college. He came onto a campus of a school that had a well-known basketball program. It was led by a coach that was known all over the nation, a coach that didn't just win basketball games, but a coach who built into young men and created leaders. It was a coach that, that young high school basketball players wanted to play for. This coach reserved a spot every year for some walk-ons, opportunities for those that weren't recruited, that weren't chased after, those that just wanted to come and say, I'll give it a shot and maybe I could make the team. This freshman was one of those young players. He, he played high school basketball. He was good, but he wasn't good enough to attract the attention of some of the scouts. So he comes in one day in the fall, his school's starting up, and he knocks on the door of the coach and says, hey, can I talk with you? I'd like to play for you. So the coach asks him to sit down, they get into some dialogue, and the coach asks this question, why do you want to play for me? The player thinks a while. He responds by telling him all of his great accomplishments in high school, what he could do in the court, his agility, his 40-yard dash time, his all the stuff that he could do. The coach sat there for a long while, kind of scratched his chin, and there was a moment of silence. He says, you know what? Follow me. So the player thinks, I failed my first test. His hands begin to sweat. He gets nervous. He says, what's what's he want to do with me? And so they walk out of the locker room, out of the office, out of the locker room, out into the basketball arena. And this young player is thinking, man, he's beginning to wipe the sweat off his palms because he thinks he wants to see my skills. He wants to see what I can do with the ball. But they walk through the arena. They walk out into the athletic complex and the the player's beginning to think, well, maybe what he's doing is he's going to see what I can do on the track and the indoor track that's here or, or my strength in the weight room or... But they walk through it all. They walk out in the area that houses the indoor swimming pool. The coach gets into the pool, walks in towards the pool, walks down the steps with all of his clothes on into the pool. The player comes up to the edge of the pool and stops right at the edge. And he looks in at the coach like, you are nuts. The coach says, did I ask you to follow me? The player thinks, well, maybe he wants to see if I can follow direction. So he begins to take his shoes off and the coach says, no, 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 just come into the water. 
So the player walks down into the water. He's nervous. He approaches the coach. As soon as he gets up close enough to the coach with an arm's length, the coach grabs him in the back of the neck and throws him under the water and holds him there. Now this player spazzes out. He begins to grab and reach for this coach's hand and tries to pull it off his head and thinks, man, this guy's going to kill me. This guy's a lunatic. After about 15 to 20 seconds of struggle, which seemed like for this young guy under the water all of eternity, his body begins to give up the fight. Just at that point, the coach lets his hands off and the player, he just shoots out of the water and he looks back at the coach and just lights this coach up. Are you trying to kill? He just rips him a new one. Now, the coach pauses and looks at him and says, here's the deal. When you desire to play for me, like you desired that breath of air, come back and see me. Come on back and we'll give you a shot. As the story goes, the player never came back. As the story goes, in most of our Christian lives, we don't come back. What I've found often is Jesus looks down at us and says, I want all of you. I want you to want me as much as you want the breath of air that you take. I want you to understand that I sustain your life. I give you life. I am the creator of life. Take your breath and your oxygen in from me. Desire me. But see, like that player, what happens a lot of times, and this is what I talk to these football players about, there's enthusiasm. There's burst of energy, there's passion, there's dreams, and there's hopes, but we don't execute. We don't execute. I look at those players, and I'd say to them all the time, I said, you guys, there's so much potential in this circle here, in this huddle. And I'd say this, and I genuinely mean that most of those players had the size and the physical capacity to go and play at big-time schools. But I'd say you don't execute, because deep in your heart, you don't really want it. And I look at the Christian life and I wonder if you know, there's been a lot of enthusiasm this summer through this series. We can step out and God can use us and God will use us and he's going to put my marriage back together and I'm going to be able to kick this addiction and I'm going to and we fill in the blanks of the dreams that we have and the courageous passion and energy laid in our heart, but then we don't execute. And I think the reason we don't execute is the same reason those football players and that basketball player doesn't execute is because we get so busy doing the stuff that we think matters that when in our heart we don't truly desire what does matter. If you think about the way that player answered the coach, what did he say? He gave him all the stuff that he does. I'm good at three-point shots. I had this percentage in high school, and I, who cares? What's your heart want? Where's your heart at? What do you desire? What do you really want to take in? And I find that we get so busy, Adam Nagel gets so busy in life, with my family, with a church, with my doing all this good stuff that I wonder at times if is my heart really looking to breathe and take in the oxygen of Jesus Christ? Do I want it more than anything else? As I think about this and I think about how it relates to the end of our series, the encouragement for us this morning is to dream bigger. Not dream smaller. Dream bigger. I used to look at those football players and I'd say, dream big. I couldn't say it this way, but God is big. Dream big. I think with Joshua and these these nation of Israel and all these people, God's saying to him, don't dream smaller. Don't lower your standard. Dream bigger. Look at who I am. Embrace me for who I am, the creator God of the universe. 
See, my life, one of the things, one of my desires, and I fall short of this, and one of my prayers for us as a church is that we should despair of the thought, it should scare us of the thought of my life slipping by without ever seeing God show up on my behalf. I love asking Christians, where's God working in your life? Usually I get blank stares. How's he answered prayer lately? I get blank stares. Sometimes I give blank stares. And that should scare me. And I say, dream big. God is huge. He is working all over this globe. Why isn't he working here in my life? Dream bigger. Run at this thing. Now, to dream bigger, one of the things I realize is one of the places where we fail is because we don't start small. So the second thing, not only dream bigger, is like wrap this whole thing up, is start smaller. What I mean by that is a lot of times we sit and we dream at the pie in the sky of the vision God's called us to, but we never execute because we never take the next step. Because all we're so scared of what's out there. The old adage goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Most of us forget this principle. Most of us sit and look at this big elephant standing in front of us and think, how am I going to ever eat that thing? What happens? Well, I've got to kill it first. So let's just take the first step and kill it. Now, after I kill it, what's next? This spoke to my heart recently in my very life. One of our elders at a, at a recent meeting we pulled together is actually one of our elders called a special prayer meeting for us as a leadership team and said, man, I don't know what's going on with this children's ministry thing, but Adam, our hearts are beating. It wants this. The dream is there. The vision is there to come alongside of our volunteers who are doing an incredible job, who are wearing out some of them, who are wanting to quit some of them, who are saying, I just want to make a difference in kids' lives. And our hearts beat to say, we want to support those volunteers. And we want to take it to a whole nother level where kids love and beg their mom and dads to be here and where parents love to bring their kids here and where God is showing up in a young child's life and not just helping the child understand who he is but helping that child step out and serve him in unbelievable radical ways like we heard last week from Hayden. So the elders said, let's pull together. One of the elders then spoke up and said this, maybe our dr- it's not the problem with our dream. And he looked at Chris and I who are part of the higher team with some others. He looked at us and said, maybe the problem is You're missing the next step. Just lay it all out. What you really want to see God do, dream big, but then just start. Maybe we're missing a step here. Start small, Adam. So we did. What encouragement, it's fine. It brought hope back to my soul because we accomplished step one. And when you accomplish step one, don't you start to feel good? Okay, well, I can now take down step two and then step three and then step four. And we just stay faithful with the small steps. And before long, we sit and look around and say, wow, the dreams come true. So dream big, start small. Turn with me in your Bible to Joshua. The last two chapters of the book, 23 and 24. If you're not familiar with your Bible or you don't have a Bible, see us afterwards and we'll get you a Bible. Uh, but the Joshua's in the first couple books of the Bible. You'll see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you're going to the book of Joshua. Joshua, then flip to the back of the book, chapter 23 and chapter 24. This is the final Joshua is about ready to go the way of the ground, it says. To go the way of the earth. It's one thing that unless Jesus comes back, every one of us is guaranteed in life is death. Every one of us in this room. I don't know anyone yet that's avoided it. So Joshua's about ready to go there, and Joshua says, okay, here's what I want you guys to know. We've seen God do some cool things. He's going to share some principles, and here's the thing I want us to grasp. A principle applied will not change your life. Some of you look at that and say, Adam, (laughs) no, hang with me in this. 
a principle consistently applied will. It's not about getting this emotional flash in the pan and stepping out and saying, here we go, I can do this, and we do it once. No, it's about doing it once and then doing it twice and doing it three times. It's consistently applying principles. And one of them shows up here. Look at Joshua chapter 23. I'm going to start at verse 3. I'm not going to read all this chapter. I just want to kind of highlight what he's saying here as we look back at the book because he's kind of looking back at his life. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. I just want to pause there. That last phrase, it was the Lord your God who fought for you. Do you realize who he's speaking to? He's speaking to a group of men who just laid down their arms, a group of men who just had spears and bows and knives in their hands fighting war, who are watching their comrades around them drop. And he says, it wasn't you who fought. It was me who fought for you. Don't lose sight of this. He says, I showed up on your behalf. Look down at verse 6. Joshua continues, be strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or left. So basically, hey guys, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Chase after God with everything you got. Look at verse 8. But you are to hold fast and showing contrast to the other nations that don't. You are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Then verse 10. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you. Just as he promised. So be careful to love the Lord your God. Now, I didn't see the movie 300, but I know some of you have. Those of you who maybe have relatives in the Marines, they study that story. It's a story about the gates of Thermopylae, this tiny pass where any invading nation had to get through to conquer Greece. And 300 men come to these gates and hold off the whole entire Persian army. You think, wow, that's incredible. That's what these, these are, these are studs of warriors. Do you see what he says? I mean, these aren't, these, these guys got a lot of man points. I lose a lot. These guys have a lot of man. I mean, these guys, just one person took on a thousand. They didn't need a huge army because God was with them. He says, keep in mind, you guys could start to become delusional and think that you're pretty cool. You're pretty strong. Keep in mind that I worked on your behalf. So the warning is be careful to love me. I showed up and worked for you. So now out of your love, you work for me. Chapter 24, verse 12. This cool statement. I love this. This is a cool description. I don't know what all this means and what all took place here, but I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. So in some way, I was already at work before you got onto the battlefield. Also, the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. Now, look at verse 13. It starts out with this powerful truth. So, I gave. Keep in mind, he's saying, this land that you have, this amazing dream that you dreamed, this accomplishment that you fought for, it wasn't you who did it. It was me. I gave to you. I worked for you. Do not lose sight of it. Now, when you flip the page... To chapter, the end of chapter 24, he wraps his speech up by this, at the conclusion of it. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Verse 15, 
But if serving the Lord, this is cool freedom he gives them, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. See what he's saying? Pick who you're going to serve. You've seen God do this. You've seen God give this to you. You've seen God work on your behalf. Now, who are you going to serve? I used to love standing up when I was a youth pastor. I used to stand and talk to young people like we have here all the time, every week. And one of the things I learned about young people is there were some young people that were there because mom and dad made them show up. There were young people there who went to Sunday school all their lives and heard all the answers given to them, but they never themselves really owned Jesus Christ. And there were young people that were there who would come week in and week out, who on the night before were drunk as a skunk, partying, having a great time. And then they're sitting here in church and acting, which is cool. I'm glad they were there. But then they'd act like, man, they're in love with Jesus. And I used to sit and say to him all the time, you know, I'd rather you do, you're spitting in my face. I'd rather you just sit here and be honest with me. Tell me you really don't want to be here. Tell me mom and dad made me come. Tell me I don't like your God. Tell me I think you're full of garbage, Adam. Just be honest with me, but pick who you're, don't play the game where you sit on the fence. Joshua's giving him the same message. As I've grown older, I find that I'm a lot like those teenagers that I used to speak to. I have a propensity in my life to sit on the fence, to get really busy doing stuff that doesn't really matter and act like I truly love Jesus. I mean, how often when someone asks you, how are you doing? Are you really honest? How often when you really doubt God, you sit in your small group and say, yeah, you know what? I'm not really sure about this God thing. I think he kind of let me down this week. We sit on the fence and Joshua says, pick. And then comes this verse that probably, if I have to show a hands, I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet 50% of this room has this verse hanging in your house. Matter of fact, Tanya and I, we, I grew up here in Lancaster County. Craft shows abound here in Lancaster County. And we used to go to these, you know, the Lidditz craft show where 60,000 people converge in this blessed town of Lidditz. I grew up in Lidditz. It was the most dreaded weekend of the entire year. These 60,000 people come and they tourist all over the place and all to look at these great little crafts. Well, Tanya and I, we lived in Lidditz while I was going to college. And uh, we went down one year and we bought this verse on a nice little plaque and we hung it in our bedroom. Most of us have this, one of those famous verses that says this, but as for me and my household, we, Joshua said, we, drives a stake in the ground, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I've seen God work on our behalf. I've seen what he's given us. And because what he's given us, I'm now all in the game. Now the people respond and they're like, look at, look at the end of verse 18. The people say, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now catch the response of Joshua. Catch the response. This is crazy stuff. Look what he says to him. Some of the hardest verses. (laughs) Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Now look what he says. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. What's he saying? Come on, dude. You want to say, calm down, Joshua. What's he saying? Look at verse 21. 
But the people said to Joshua, no, absolutely not, Joshua. We are, we're, we're, we're legit. We're in this thing. We will serve the Lord. Verse 22, then Joshua says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. In other words, looking back to what Chris talked about one of the weeks he spoke about being a person of your word. You've spoken. And the day's going to come when you're going to look back on this day and it's going to indict you. Verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. You know what's interesting to me? You don't read in the rest of this chapter of the people throwing away their gods. These people were all talk. These people were all passionate. These people saw God show up and work and they're moved, but they aren't taking steps of action. I think what Joshua is thinking about, he's thinking back to Jacob in Genesis chapter 35. Jacob, who is the grandchild to Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish Israel nation. Jacob, who we get the name Israel from, comes to this very same place, the very same place that Joshua now is. It's called Shechem. And Jacob calls the people to this very same commitment. And you know what the people do? Without Jacob asking, the women begin to take their earrings out of their ears because they established wearing earrings because of the pagan cultures. And they were trying to, they were consumed with their beauty more than they were their inner beauty. So they begin to take their earrings out. The men go home and grab their idols and all their gold that they're living for to provide for their family and they drag it in. And Jacob digs a big hole in front of a tree and they bury it and have an incredible worship service right then and there. The people giving up the gods, the idols that they're living for, the stuff that really doesn't matter in life and saying we're committed to giving God our all. These people here in Joshua's day don't do a thing with it. They think in the back of their mind, we can be all in and we're still going to hold on to this stuff and it won't impact us. And what I've come to learn, I want to just speak to those of you who really are courageous, who really are saying, I'm going to step out and do this thing. I've mentioned this repeatedly. I want to end this final week with this. You, those of you, I'm talking to those of you who are saying, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do this. You're going to be sold out. You are going to be called arrogant. You're going to be called judgmental. And you're going to lose friends and family if you truly step and go, I'm all in. We've talked about this repeatedly. See, what I find when Joshua stands up here, the the reason they probably didn't pick stones up and kill him is because they knew God's hand was on him. They knew God worked in him. But other places in the story where people stand up and talk like this against the people, their lives are in danger. John the Baptist, John the Baptist was one of the most humble men in the Bible. He makes this statement. He says of Jesus Christ, you will increase. I am going to decrease. All of my life is about honoring and glorifying you. A humble, profound statement. John the Baptist said harsher, nastier things than anyone else I know of in the Bible. And he didn't just say them to those who sat in the pews. He said them to the, to the, political leaders of the day, and it cost him his life. But he's one of the most humble men in the world. See, I find that a lot of times people who are dubbed humble really aren't that humble. What they're really doing is trying to preserve their life, preserve their stuff, and to stay out of trouble and conflict, to avoid the crosshairs. 
See, true courage wrestles with God first and continually. Before Joshua stood up, he wrestled with God. You see it all throughout the story. Jacob in chapter 35 of Genesis, just a few chapters before that, he physically wrestled with God. Cool story. He wrestled. And what I find, people who can truly stand up and be bold are honest with who they are in front of God. And they wrestle. They have dark nights of the soul where they doubt. Where they say, God, do you really want me to say this? You really want me to follow you? God, if I do this, are you really going to have my back? God, can this really be what you've asked me to do? And then when your friends start to abandon you and you get called all kinds of names, you go back again and you wrestle. God, did I miss something? Am I truly arrogant? Am I truly blind to life and reality? And it wears on us. And we continue to come back and we continue to wrestle. God honors wrestling with him. But most of us don't ever get to the place of wrestling. We have these emotional moments. We step in with commitment, but deep in our heart, we've never wrestled down the demons and the idols that occupy it. God says, wrestle with me. Make a decision then. Are you all in or aren't you? One of the things I would add is this. I just want to give you, those of you who are saying my courageous step in some way you know is going to bring conflict with someone. Maybe it's with a husband, a wife, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a child. You know you've let some things go. You know that you need to step to the plate and be what God's called you to be. And that's what God's been speaking to you all summer. I want to give you some hope. On October 27th and 28th, we have our Verve weekend coming. And the elders have decided to work towards making that weekend this year about conflict and how to work through it. We're bringing a pastor in, um, a well-known cool leader and communicator who's going to come in, who's put some time and energy into how to do this. So I'd encourage you to mark that date on your calendar, October 27th and 28th, and join us for that. If that's your saying, hey, that's my courageous steps, I just want to give you that little side note. But as we end, the challenge for us is not to dream small, but to dream big. Dream big. What has God called you to do? Do not let your life slip by without you seeing him show up on your behalf. What is it? It's a relationship you've got to put back together. Maybe it's an addiction you got to kick. Maybe it's adopting or fostering another child or just adopting and fostering, period. Maybe it's stepping out with love towards the poor in a way that you know it's going to cost you a lot of money. Maybe it's stepping onto the mission field. Maybe, maybe it's changing your career. Maybe it's setting aside time just to be with your children on a nightly, regular basis. Maybe it's putting your phone away and being present with your family. I don't know what it is, but dream big. God is huge. He doesn't want you to get to the end of your life and look back and realize, man, I never saw him work on my behalf. And then start small. Pick a step. Pick an immediate step. Maybe for you, if it's saying, I'm going to be a dad that's present, maybe your next step is, I'm going to take three nights a week to sit on the edge of my kid's bed and just hear and listen to their heart. Start small. Maybe it's, I'm going to start spending regular quality time with God. Well, don't start out, you're going to get seven days done. Pick two days this week and do those two days. Maybe it's, I need to have a conversation with my spouse because there's stuff in my heart. Don't jump all in and share your whole entire heart. 
She may be in my office this week talking about filing papers. Start small. Pick a little step and say, I can do this because God is big. I'm dreaming big. And I'm going to start small with this next step. And we're going to take this thing on. My challenge for us is, is we don't want to waste our lives. I don't want to waste my life. I do not want to waste my life. And I know, I know, I've talked to many of you. You don't want to waste it either. You want to make a difference. So dream big, start small. What we're going to do is we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to close in prayer. Then we're going to sing a song. It's a, it's a well-known hymn. Most of you, if you grew up in the church, will know this song. Um, it's about a surrender. So we're going to sing at congregation. Then and when that song wraps up, we're going to talk about what we're going to do here. You see some rocks around the room. We're just going to talk about that. But through this song, ask God, God, what are you asking me to do? What's the dream and what's the step? God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for working on our behalf. Thank you for being a God who, who creates and sustains life. Thank you for being a God who looks at us and says, I've got a plan for you, Adam. I've got a plan for you. I've given you gifts. I've given you abilities. I've given you, I've given you life. I've got a plan for you. God, would you help us, help me to tap into that plan, tap into your heart. And then God, help us to step back after we, after we draw a commitment to say, I am going to live for that. Then help me to step back and take the right steps. Be faithful with those steps. Be disciplined with those steps. And God, run after them. And God, a lot of times I find and help us as people to see this too, that when we begin to dream big and we begin to say we're going to start small, what really happens is the ordinary stuff of life begins to catch fire. Because a lot of times, God, you're here with us all along. You're just waiting for us to open our eyes and our heart to what you want to do. So God, would you move? Would you help us to surrender? Would you help us to be people? Unlike the people here that Joshua spoke to who saw this great thing happen, but then never lay down their idols. Would you help us to be people that have seen you work and then lay our idols down and say, I'm all in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.